Hello, and welcome to this episode of the CFA Institute Take 15 series. I'm Dr. Michael McMillan, Director, Ethics and Professional Standards. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. John R. Boatwright, the Raymond C. Baumhart Professor of Ethics and Professor of Management at the Quinlan School of Business at Loyola University, Chicago. Dr. Boatwright, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. What ethical issues should new entrants into the investment profession think about as they enter into the business? Well, the people who enter your business are people I teach as uh, MBA students. And so I would say to them exactly what I say to my own uh, students. And that is, the workplace can be a very dangerous place. Uh, I tell them ethics can be dangerous to your career because you may be called upon to do things that turn out to be unethical, maybe even uh, illegal. And young people in the workforce are subject to particular pressures uh, because they're often well naive. They may not they haven't been around a while. They may not see the ethical issues that are confronting them. Indeed, many people do get involved in unethical and illegal behavior without realizing what they are uh, uh, doing. Furthermore, there's great pressure that tends to get pushed down in organizations so that a manager, typically a manager doesn't say, do this unethical and illegal act, uh, but rather uh, the manager says, uh, get this job done and you don't need to tell me how you uh, do it. Very often that kind of responsibility is pushed down without adequate uh, preparation. So I think young people very much need to be on their guard and recognize that they are particularly vulnerable and can get drawn up into an ethical and even indeed illegal activity. Um, so what should um, a new a young person do when confronted with an ethical situation in the workplace? Well, first of all, you're assuming that the person will recognize they're facing an ethical situation. Very often that's the first uh, hurdle. Uh, what uh, research shows is that uh, people are often even unaware that they are facing an ethical issue. And so they get involved in activity without even realizing the ramifications of what they are doing. So I think the first step is to simply become aware of what are the ethical issues they are apt to uh, face and get learn how to uh, uh, deal with those. Good. Um... Do you think there is a difference between unethical people and unethical actions? Um, I think we have a certain model of unethical behavior. That there are bad people and bad people do bad things. But that's not really the case. I mean, there are bad people who do bad things. But very often we find that wrongdoing is done by good people. Uh, people recognized as uh, good employees, good managers, even good uh, uh, our leaders. So what we really have to explain is why good people do bad things. And part of that is because, again, we often fail to recognize that the situation they're facing really does pose ethical issues. So they think of it as a marketing problem, a finance problem, or this or that. And they've been trained how to deal with those kinds of uh, problems. But they fail to recognize that this is an ethical problem and, again, we oftentimes lack the preparation to be able to analyze that ethical problem. Uh, furthermore, um, uh, companies don't set out to make a defective product or engage in massive uh, fraud. 
very often it begins in very small ways, with very small steps. And each step of the way, people may feel uncomfortable with what's happening, uh, but uh, they sort of persuade themselves that this is what they're expected to do, and this is within uh, accepted ethical and legal uh, uh, standards. And so what they find is there's a series of steps, and they take the first steps, perhaps with some reservation, but again, they take those steps until they find themselves involved in much more massive uh, uh, situations. So I think it's important to recognize that typical moral ethical scandals begin in very small ways. And often we just find ourselves in too deep and really find no way to come uh, back. And along the way, I think that people rationalize what they're doing. If you ask me, what's the greatest moral failing that people have? Yes. It's their ability to rationalize. One thing we're very, very good at is rationalizing our behavior. So to, to an outsider, it may appear this is clearly uh, unethical. Uh, but to someone who's caught up in it, they may have very well rationalized what they're doing again is uh, acceptable. And they've also become comfortable with it. And typically, unethical behavior is not the act of one person, the, the rogue trader, for example. But many different people become uh, involved. In part because uh, many different steps have to be taken, many different decisions have to be made, taken. And uh, so it may be very difficult to say that this unethical act, say a major act of fraud, was actually committed by any one person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just that uh, individuals uh, play their own particular role. And it's very difficult to see how what you are doing fits into a larger pattern of behavior on the part of the organization. Great. Um, how do you create, how would you suggest creating a culture of integrity in an organization? Well, it's very difficult uh, to do, but it's of the utmost importance. Because again, we have a certain model of uh, moral decision making where we recognize we face an ethical issue, uh, we analyze the issues that are involved, uh, we develop courses of action and uh, develop good reasons for and against various uh, courses of action and then do what reason tells us is the right thing to do. That's not the way it works at all. What a lot of research into the psychology of decision making show us is that people are very quick to size up situations. Uh, they have a kind of gut reaction. And very often, whatever uh, verbalizing they do is aimed at uh, persuading others of the rightness of a certain course of uh, action. So the idea that we sort of act on our deliberation I mean, it does occur, but in most cases, uh, we simply, uh, again, go with our gut feeling and then later uh, verbalize our, our action. So I think it's very important to approach people at that gut level, level of uh, instinct. And so what's very important, I think, is not simply a code of ethics, but a culture which tells people, this is how we act in this organization. These are things we do, these are things we don't uh, uh, do. So that goes beyond the code of ethics and hinges upon, again, the whole culture of the uh, organization. And probably cultures are strongest in uh, startup firms, where there is an established, uh, establishing uh, figure in family-run corporations. Uh, uh, it has to be done by sort of example, constant repetition. This is also uh, very fragile. It can easily get uh, lost. So when companies grow and they merge, that culture can often get uh, lost. 
for example, Arthur Anderson, which is now, of course, no more, mm -hmm. was once the straightest arrow of the, of the accounting firms. But along the way, uh, again, because of, I would say, failures of leadership, that culture was lost and replaced by a different uh, culture. So the culture has to be built and it has to be constantly uh, maintained. It's very fragile and can be very easily lost. How do you think incentive systems affect people's ethical behavior? Well, of course, it affects them tremendously. And the greater the financial rewards that are attached to the incentive system, the greater the effect. So I think it's very critical to have uh, you know, good incentive systems where uh, you really get the conduct that uh, you want. I mean, there's some cases of sort of perverse incentives where unintentionally the corporation does uh, incentivize unethical behavior. But there are also situations where the incentive system really dominates. Uh, for example, it's particularly true in uh, trading cultures where you're judged solely by how much money you've made for the firm today, not necessarily uh, tomorrow. And it ignores the risk, for example, the traders are taking. So there are some cases where incentive systems are unintentionally perverse, where it would be difficult for an investor to recognize exactly what behavior we are providing incentives for. Other cases where you have to know that these incentives are very strong, all lead all in one direction, and have nothing to do with, uh, with, with ethics. I think that's a failure of leadership to provide, provide incentive systems that uh, really do lead to the, well, the desired conduct. But on behalf of the bank, the desired conduct may very well be just to make more money. <laughs> and so the bank has to have a larger vision of uh, what, the, what conduct they actually do want from their traders. So in, the, in, in, in a bank or other financial institutions where, where profit is so important, then it's really a function of the, the leadership to ensure, that, to ensure and monitor their employees' behavior so that those unethical ends are not achieved. Right, absolutely. It's become a cliche that ethics starts at the top, mm -hmm. and yet it's absolutely true. And you use another important word, that is uh, monitor. It's one thing to put a system into place, but it's another thing to keep an eye on it and monitor employees' conduct along the way. Do you think people's attitudes towards ethics differs across geography or across cultures? Uh, very definitely. And, uh, I think if we look at Europe, Asia, we find very different uh, uh, mindsets. Once its values are really the same around the world, uh, but how we understand those values can uh, differ. Uh, for example, Michael Walzer in his book uh, on, uh, uh, called Thick and Thin talks about moral concepts as being thick and thin. Uh, he recounts the story of looking at the Velvet Revolution in, in Czechoslovakia. And people would open up signs that say truth, justice, and life. And he said, well, I know exactly what they are saying. Uh, but that's in the thin concept. But we really try to dig in and go deeper. How do people really understand, for example, fairness? We will find that differs a great uh, uh, deal, oftentimes depending on uh, history, on religion, culture, the legal system, and so on. For example, uh, once, in one case I knew my students in the Middle East, People are asked to define uh, corruption, and they define it as not sharing uh, what you have gained. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the 
enemy of cronyism. But yet, in a particular culture, where particularly a difficult culture where survival is at stake, uh, people depend on each other. And if you have gained some benefit, you haven't gained that alone, you've gained that through the cooperation of other people. And so you're not sharing that. So that, what we think of as a cronyism, of sharing the spoils, is viewed in that culture as really sharing the gain uh, which you have gained with the benefit of, uh, of others. So I think if you go through these cases one by one, what you will recognize is conduct that may appear to us to be unethical. When we look at how it's really understood in that culture uh, is ethical, we would recognize it looking through the lens of that culture that indeed this is uh, ethical. Just another example, uh, for example, gift giving is very common in Japan. And again, we tend to think of that as a kind of bribery. Mm -hmm. But they look at it as establishing relationships. And in Confucian culture, relationships are everything. And so giving a gift uh, can be viewed as a form of bribery. But if we view it as establishing a relationship, it has a whole different cultural meaning. And I think that's one of the ways in which uh, ethics around the world does uh, differ. So in summary, the one way that we can prevent falling into that ethical trap is to have our ethical radar up, if you will, to maintain an awareness of ethical situations. How do we, what's the best way to go about doing that? Well, it comes largely from experience. One thing my students tell me after a course is, I just never realized there were so many ethical problems. And so I think we have to uh, encounter them, either in person, which is often very painful, or at least uh, in textbooks, in a classroom uh, uh, setting. And codes of ethics can also do this uh, by not merely having rules, but also by having examples, uh, and also by discussing this. Uh, it's very rare in business that the ethical aspect of the situation are actually discussed in a lunchroom or in a business uh, meeting. And so I think the quick answer is it only comes from experience. And experience can either come from the classroom or from, you know, from textbook reading or from actual experience in, in business. Uh, but I think that ethics officers and those who do ethics training play a very valuable role here by going over not merely the rules, but also trying to apply those rules in very specific uh, ways so one can actually see the ways in which the rules might be violated. Thank you very much, Dr. Bowright. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And this concludes our Take 15 series with Dr. John R. Boatwright. Thank you for being with us. Copyright 2012 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.